Lives podcast series, The Navy Board Project, presented by Sue Lewis. Yet another project. This one is to provide a descriptive list of miscellaneous correspondence sent to the Navy Board and to the Board of Admiralty. It's being compiled by a combination of members of the Naval Dockyard Society, the Friends of the TNA, and members of the National Maritime Museum. And it started nine years ago and progresses on two sites, here and at Greenwich. Now, why are we doing this? If you think about it, when the PRO, as it was then called, was opened, opened its doors in the 19th century and documents were gradually taken in from several places, we inherited an 800-year backlog of documents which needed processing. They all had to be identified, classified, packed, listed, and some collections got what could only be called a packing list, with little information of what lay within them. The classification of ADM 106 contains 3,636 documents, all concerned with the business of the Navy Board answerable to the Admiralty and famous for being managed at one time by Samuel Pepys. There are indexes, digests, entry books of outletters, minutes, registers and miscellaneous combinations of documents under various subject headings. Some of these items are bound into volumes and amongst that mass of paper are some runs of what are labelled miscellaneous or promiscuous correspondence in letters to the board. There's more than one run, but the one we have targeted is that for 1673 to 1789, covered by 1,018 bundles of folded letters, some of the bundles being as many as 450 to 500 folios long. And this is what the raw documents look like before we begin. The other half of the project is correspondence held at the Caird Library in the National Maritime Museum, which are outletters from the Navy Board to the Admiralty. So you can see the subjects filtering through as they have to go to the Admiralty for final confirmation of doing something. There's 126 of them in bound volumes and another 100 in unbound letters in bundles running from 1738 to 1832, but there are some gaps. The letters received come from all walks of life. There are dockyard commissioners and officers ships captains, surgeons, pursers, shipwrights, surveyors, admirals, wives and executors, timber merchants, contractors, consuls, solicitors, masters of transports and other organisations with the East India Company and also individuals writing in with a petition. And I selected this one to show you what they looked like and strangely enough this is Mary Pritchard. We've already heard about a Mary Pritchard today from Liz. <laughs> and she was writing in because she was sister of Edward Jones Mariner, who's deceased, late of the ship Midway. And she has asked for William Jones to be prosecuted for forgery, having taken out an administration using a false certificate. And he claimed he was the deceased brother and he received his wages, and of course the widow wants the wages for herself. He claimed he got a certificate from a schoolmaster in Cardiff, but the a Reverend Watkin Jones testified that there was no certificate produced at all. The enlargement of the letter looks like that. As you can see, they're quite easy to read. Many of them are written by clerks, 
Some of the handwriting is awful, but by and large, most of it is legible. Up until now, they've only had a, nominal, a minimal listing. We just get a one line which tells you that this is um, miscellaneous in letters to the board from P correspondence of 1765. That's all you get. And you get a whole bundle, maybe 500 letters, so it doesn't help very much. The thing is that P correspondence is a bit misleading. By and large, they're meant to be sorted alphabetically by the name of the person who wrote the letter. But sometimes you get a dockyard commissioner writing in, so it'll be the name of the dockyard. And sometimes it's the position that a person holds. So it isn't consistent. And the bundles are normally from January to June and July to December. And you may get the Portsmouth Commissioner writing in and being filed under P, but because his name for a long period was Commissioner Hughes, the rest of it will be under H. So how you find it, I don't know. After we've done a precy of a letter, you get a variable amount of information according to the content of the letter. Some may, may contain key words and some are quite straight straightforward and can be covered with one or two sentences. If you have a survey of a ship, you really don't want a blow-by-blow -blow account, but you may want to know which ship and where it was surveyed and what the end result is, whether they're going to repair it or not. With an item such as a forgery, there may be several named persons, ships' names and various places to cover. So when we finish with it, you get... Th this is the way we input it. This isn't the end result yet, but it will give a precy of that letter we've received, and we input it into a certain a simple word table which eventually gets converted into a catalogue entry and where we have included a lot of information because there's no way of getting it all in without a longer explanation you need to click on the hyperlink to see the rest of the entry. Now much of the correspondence is routine. You get submission of accounts, demands for stores, Request for bills drawn overseas to be paid, request for superannuation. One quarterman had served 70 years before he asked for superannuation. So that's not how old he is, he's older than that. He's often granted, but not always received, apparently. There are requests for payments of wages by widows and executors, of, as we've seen, and much on the hiring of transports for the movement of troops and their horses and their baggage and the hay to feed the horses. In one instance, the ship carrying the hay got left behind, so the horses went hungry till they got to the other side of the channel. And you also get letters through an agent of prisoners of war overseas who wanted to be paid for the time that they were in prison, because after all, it was part of their job. There are also ongoing themes about the major innovations being developed in the 18th century, mainly 18th, we have some 17th. We've all heard of Harrison and his search for longitude. We've letters preparing for the trials of one of his clocks in Barbados in 1764 when his son was to observe the testing. There's a Samuel Sutton who was a contractor responsible for fitting air pipes to remove foul air from ships. He first crops up in the 1750s. You have Dr. Irwin's tubes fitted to coffers on ships for distilling fresh water from salt. Azimuth compasses came in to counteract the variation of the needle. And importantly, you had Walter Taylor's machinery for making the several sorts and sizes of blocks used for the rigging, and later a Brunel comes forward to carry that on. 
The most important thing that crops up all the time is the introduction of copper sheathing, which counteracted the damage from worm, it speeded up the movement of ships, and it meant there was longer time in between the need to refit them. It was first trialled in 1761, but it took 22 more years for them to really sort of perfect it. What happened was that the iron bolts they used to put on the copper plates used to react unfavourably with the copper, and it wasn't until they tried out copper boats that they would, could give the order that all ships from now on were to be coppered and not just ones going on long voyages. There's also something which amused me quite a lot, the trials of Dr. James's fever powders. If you've read the book about scurvy and the, and the search for the cure, you'll see it mentioned in there. He was a quack doctor, and the Navy asked four surgeons going on foreign voyages to take some of these fever powders and try them out on the sailors. They give, when they get back, details of the symptoms and the dosages. And it sounds pretty drastic, but only one man died. So even if it is quack medicine, it worked. And then there are the many exceptional things. And this just shows you the variety that you can get. There's correspondence on the cutting of canals both from Erith to Woolwich and the Erie Canal in Canada. There's a draft of a contract with Robert Adams to build the gateway of Admiralty House, which you can see today. And it was, the design was to include what they call marine horses. If you look at them, they've got mermaids' tails and antique ships. There's a signed slip, and I found this absolute curiosity, but there must be some that survive elsewhere which shows the progress of an express letter. It's coming from Plymouth. It started off on the evening of the 22nd of the month and it passed through 12 post offices to arrive at Staines at 10.30 in the morning of the 24th. And I suppose the postboy had to get the, the, the time he left each post on this slip. And I dare say he went on to London, but he obviously left the slip behind, so we've got it in the correspondence. In 1821, we have a request from the Consul General in Cairo, Henry Salt, the archaeologist, who wanted the Navy to ship out 124 artefacts to Malta for the British Museum and others. They had to hire transports to look for Bonnie Prince Charlie. They wanted to erect a monument to Nelson at Portsdown Hill with a line of observation to guide ships into harbour. Brigadier General Samuel Bentham writes at length from Russia about his allowances for supervising the building of ships there, and then comes home to begin a lengthy correspondence. He was appointed to the Navy Board, and he objected to the seat for the last man in. He said he was more important than that, and he wasn't going to take his place until they improved the position where he sat. Well, the Navy stuck by their usual routine. Samuel Bentham lost, and he had to sit at the bottom of the table on the right. There's something on the setting up of the militia in the yards in 1745 and again in 1759. There are letters from pilots who've been told to go and assist some Russian ships to take them to Portsmouth from somewhere in the channel. And they said, we're not going on there alone. If you want us to go and help, you'll have to have two of us for each ship. There was a complaint from a ship's surgeon who had to manage with a dispensary and operating area that was only two foot four inches wide, and particulars of a trial of medicinal belts for the cure of the itch or leprosy, which were successful. There was an investigation into a possible spy lurking round Plymouth Yard who turned out to be a Franciscan priest trying to get a ship back to France. And it was not just Captain Cook who was charged to observe the transit of Venus. 
the board had to equip someone to observe the transit from the North Cape of Lapland. There's a report of a shipwright who overheard a colleague say he did not regard the king as his master in the pub, and the man was subsequently discharged from the yard for disrespect. A letter written by a keen dockyard commissioner at 9.30 in the morning on Christmas Day. There are also some illustrations as enclosures. Every time they wanted to alter a yard or the buildings in a yard, they would include lovely little watercolour drawings, beautifully done, or they included drawings of some flags that were to be taken on board by Lord Howe, and they also have some coloured drawings of signals on Maker Tower because the ships out in the Sound couldn't be seen in the harbour, so they had to have a signal system to say which ships were in the offing, and they used the church tower in between. There's a lovely drawing of the whole lot. That's an example of the miscellany we're doing. To date, we've processed 407 documents across the two sites, which amounts to about 149,000 letters, which is about 33% of the whole exercise. The project is just a small part of the attempt to tackle that 800-year backlog, but it's one that's fascinating to do and hopefully will help people find their way around the miscellaneous. This event was recorded live as part of the Catalogue Awareness Day on November the 30th, 2007 at the National Archives. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives, all rights reserved.